From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Hello and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up on this edition, a special program for you today. Earlier this month, FRC held a town hall at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Now, joining us in that uh, special pray vote stand town hall meeting was ADF CEO and President Mike Ferris and pastor of Cornerstone, Gary Hamrick. And together we answered questions on how Christians can engage with the government now that increasingly progressive Democrats control Congress and the White House. Well, today we're bringing you the highlights. First up, the 2020 election exposed some vulnerabilities in election systems across America, and voters want to know Will their votes be counted accurately and fairly in future elections? An important question. Well, we discuss what states can do to put safeguards in place. Next, President Joe Biden and his allies in Congress have a radical agenda that includes packing the Supreme Court, eroding election security, and invading churches with woke ideology through the Equality Act. What can conservatives do to stop it? Well, you'll have to stay tuned to find out. Then Joe Biden has already taken steps to force the transgender ideology into public schools and girls sports. What more will he be able to do or at least try to do? Find out next. Lastly, we step back and take a historical look at the life issue. Are we making progress toward overturning Roe versus Wade? Well, I'm telling you what, the answer may surprise you. By the way, if you want to hear the complete town hall, visit prayvotestand.org. In fact, you can join us for a new program there every week. Focus on how you can be engaged by praying and by standing for biblical truth. There's never been a time in our history where it's been more important to pray, to vote, and to stand. And folks, let me encourage you to text the word FORWARD to 67742. That's forward to 67742 to get more resources on how you can stay engaged. But for now, listen to this special town hall meeting with ADF CEO Mike Ferris and Pastor Gary Hamrick and myself. All right, we're going to start right here uh, with uh, a local question. I believe we've got a question on elections. Come on up and state your name and uh, ask your question. Good evening. It's an honor to be here. My name is Diane. My question for you tonight is, how can we protect the integrity of our elections so that we may have confidence in the outcome? Thank you. That is a question that's probably on the minds of about 70 million people uh, across the nation. It's one of the questions that we've gotten a lot of in advance. And, Mike, I'll let you take the first shot at that. Sure. Well, there are several things that need to happen, and and, uh, election integrity is vital uh, for our future. Um, I I, um, know the the details of what happened last time reasonably well. I took a pretty thorough study of it uh, from a legal perspective, and I believe that there were constitutional irregularities in many, many states, but in the states where it was very close, um, in every one of those states, there were constitutional irregularities, which means that they counted the ballots in a way that didn't match the pre-existing state law. And it was they, mainly in the mail-in ballot category. Um, they were setting up boxes uh, to, in parking lots to come and put your ballot in when state law didn't permit it. They weren't validating the signatures in the way the state law mandated. And it was often done by a decision of a secretary of state or by a local judge, or by some other official, either ahead of time 
or on the fly. And the Constitution is very clear about this, that the election process for the President of the United States is uniquely controlled not by the states, but by the state legislature. And so only the legislature can change the law for presidential elections. And so other officials, you know, if state law permits them to make these changes for other elections, perhaps, but not for the election of president. And the Supreme Court has ruled on that, the Bush versus Gore cases. And so um, I believe that the central problem was the failure to follow the pre-established process in counting the votes. And I believe that if the votes had been recounted, uh, according to the correct legal process, the outcome may well have been different. Because, for example, in Georgia, the number of ballots that were mailed in in 2016 and were disqualified for irregularities was a few percentage points. But it was less than 1% that were disqualified this time. A, a complete change in the number of ballots that were disqualified because they used a different system of counting. And if you use a different system of counting, you're going to get a different outcome. And so if you have the old and correct uh, legislative adopted system, um, so the basic answer is we've got to go back to the law adopted by the legislature. That's number one. Number two is the H.R. 1 in Congress is designed to permanently enshrine all the bad things that happened in the last election. It is a, a horrible bill from a lot of perspectives, but it undermines election integrity in a big way, and that bill must be defeated. And if it passes, it's got to be challenged at the outset. The final thing I'll say is that the, the left-leaning litigation team that was brought to the front, there were over 300 cases litigated uh, in the year prior to the election, all designed to loosen ballot integrity. And they did their, their work. Uh, and ballot integrity was loosened. And, and so our side, the conservative side of the movement, wasn't on the field litigating those in a material way. We can't let that ever happen again. And so those are the three things. And the state legislature, I'll go one more, the state legislatures, uh, especially where the, the people are interested in ballot integrity, shouldn't be along partisan lines, but it basically is right now where Republicans control state legislatures, they need to take measures, and there are a lot of things they can do. But the main thing is make sure the people who are casting the ballots are the people who are actually supposed to be casting the ballots. If you do that, we're going to be okay. Mike, let me ask you to clarify something that has been out there in the media. You talked about the constitutional regularities which led to this troubled outcome. That's different than voter fraud. It is. P please explain that so folks will know that there's, those are two different issues. Well, the way you would prove voter fraud in, in this last election would have been to take those ballots, count them under the, the correct um, process, and then you've got a stack of ballots that don't meet the standards, and you start looking at those ballots. But until you count them under the correct process, it's impossible to prove voter fraud one way or the other. We know for a fact that they didn't follow the pre-existing law. That's an unassailable fact. Nobody can legitimately dispute it. Now, whether they had the authority to change the law, perhaps they can dispute that. But if you say, did they follow the pre-existing statutory law, nobody can legitimately dispute that. The fraud would have been discovered by doing a recount using the correct legal standard. And so um, we, we know the one thing, we suspect the other, but the, the irregularity should have been enough to cause the courts to require a proper accounting of the, of the process in the proper fashion. 
And we know that this was a, a coordinated effort. It was an organization called the Center for Technology and Civic Life, which uh, Mark Zuckerberg funded uh, to the tune of about $350 million, giving grants to 2,500 uh, they called them the coronavirus response grants that went to election commissions uh, primarily to work in areas that were Democratic strongholds. And, in, for, for instance, in Philadelphia, this is according to court filings, uh, Philadelphia got a $10 million grant, which was more than their annual budget, and they were able to hire workers, most of them from activist organizations that were on the left side, and they went out and did legal ballot harvesting meaning they went to the door, knocked on the door, uh, handed a ballot, and waited for them to fill it out, and then took it back. That was not a fraudulent vote because the people didn't cast a fraudulent vote, but as Mike said, the way it was done was contrary to the laws of the state. So one of the questions coming in from Phil uh, says, can anything be done at the state level to set voting regulations? That's exactly where it's set. Uh, And in fact, one of the resources we have for you, because this is one of the action items that we all need to be a part of. And let me tell you, it can work, because in 1996, I was the campaign manager for a U.S. Senate race. Shortly after I was elected in Louisiana, we had voter fraud. Uh, We lost the election because of the fraud by about 1,500 votes out of uh, over a million votes cast. Uh, We didn't have time to challenge it in court because of the law. The Senate is the final arbiter of who's seated. They didn't have the stomach for the fight. Think of that. Um, And so we went back for the next two years, and we changed the laws in my home state of Louisiana. And this is what happened as a result. We've not had any voter fraud to speak of since then. But here's something else that happened. When I was elected, we only had one statewide Republican back in 1995. Today, we only have one statewide Democrat. Our state is trending as one of the reddest states. When you have free, fair elections, you're going to have outcomes that are positive. And so we've got to go to work. Now, here's, I'm going to quickly go down this list of state action items, because this is the question that Phil asked. And you can find this. If you text the word forward to 67742, uh, you'll get a link to this list. You don't have to write it down. It's there for you. But here's 10 steps to restoring election integrity at the state level. This is a state issue. Verify the accuracy of voter registration list. Uh, they have people on these lists that died 50 years ago. Uh, they need to clean them up. They certainly take sh- a lot of, uh, they do a lot of work to make sure the tax rolls are correct. They need to make sure the voter rolls are correct. Verify citizenship of voters. It's illegal for non-Americans to vote, non-U.S. citizens to vote in a federal election. Require voter ID. That issue alone helped clean up our elections in Louisiana was the voter ID. Um, Limit absentee ballots to those who are disabled, uh, can't vote in person, or are going to be out of town. Limit that. So it's like Mike said, that's where a lot of the uh, underhanded activity can take place. Prevent uh, voter trafficking or what's called vote harvesting uh, by third parties. It should be banned. Allow election observers complete access to the election process. Uh, Prohibit early vote counting. Uh, This is counting those early votes before Election Day. Should not happen. And then uh, Mike can speak to this, that he wants to provide state legislatures with legal standing because they are the ones that have the constitutional authority to set 
the procedures and the laws governing elections. It shouldn't be uh, taken on by a judge or shouldn't be taken on by a local election official. And then the last one is prohibit these third party, private third party funding groups to fund government election activities like Zuckerberg did through this nonprofit. So those are 10 items, 10 steps that we need to be working on right now. And in fact, um, Mike, we're already seeing this happen. We've got 106 election-related bills that are in 28 states right now uh, already, going through 14 of them already in Pennsylvania, 11 in New Hampshire, and 9 in Missouri. So here's the good news. There is action taking place to go back and correct what was uncovered in this last election. I just say amen. I applaud all those steps. Well, that's the role of the pastor. Okay. Oh. No, that's their role. Oh. <laughs> Amen. Here's a, another election-related question from Josh, and I think we, we kind of answered it. How can we have faith in our elections going forward? We've got to change our laws. We've got to go back and work. And let me tell you, as a former state legislator, they're responsive. You have a much better chance of convincing your state legislature to change their laws than you have Congress uh, to change the laws or to stop bad laws coming out of Congress. So we've got some work to do. You've got an election coming up actually here in Virginia that's an important election. So this would be a great test case right here in Virginia uh, to get uh, busy to change the outcome of the next election. You've been listening to Washington Watch. This is a conversation at the Pray Vote Stand Town Hall meeting with Pastor Gary Hamrick and Mike Ferris. More to come on the other side of the break. Don't go away. Hey, Matt. Hey, Hannah. What's going on? Why so gloomy? Well, I'm a little disappointed. I had a lot planned to do during the stay-at-home time, and I just didn't do it. Oh, yeah? What did you have planned that you didn't get to do? Well, I was actually hoping I would finally be able to get time to do a regular Bible reading routine, and I started a couple of times. I just didn't stick with it. Don't be too down on yourself. Starting a new routine can be hard, but one way to help is to join in with others and to have a good game plan. I think I have a good solution for you. Oh, yeah? Tony Perkins and FRC are doing a two-year study in the Word. They have it all mapped out. When did they start? I I would be so far behind. Oh, that's not a problem. You can literally jump in any time. There's a daily reading just a couple of chapters a day with questions to help you think about what you're reading. Nice. Where can I find this? Go to frc.org Bible and you can get started. Where's that again? frc.org Bible. Got it. Checking it out now. In our time, North Korea remains one of the world's most mysterious countries. Unfortunately, what we do know about North Korea indicates the country is also one of the world's worst abusers of human rights, including violations of religious freedom. The North Korean regime has engaged in an intense crackdown on religion for decades. Today, few religious believers remain, and those who do face grave danger. The secretive nature of the regime, nicknamed the Hermit Kingdom, makes it difficult for American leaders to address these human rights issues. Yet, even though options are limited, the gravity of the situation calls on Western countries to take every action possible to relieve the suffering of the North Korean people, a people who have no chance of speaking up for themselves. To learn more about this important issue, check out FRC's publication titled North Korea, the world's foremost violator of religious freedom. 
To access the information you need to stay informed, including a list of policy proposals, go to frc.org slash North Korea. Masculinity in America has never been under attack the way it is today. We've reached the point where the term itself is considered toxic or offensive to many. The consistent message in our nation is that masculinity by nature is bad and is the root cause of many of the problems plaguing our society. From his experience as a military combat officer and ordained minister of the gospel, Lieutenant General William Boykin has seen and dealt with firsthand the breakdown of leadership in our nation by the lack of godly men living lives of biblical purpose. In his latest book, Man to Man, Rediscovering Masculinity in a Challenging World, he addresses the essential elements of manhood as a provider, an instructor, a defender, a battle buddy, and a chaplain, and explains how to personally develop these traits and pass them to the next generation. Get your copy today of Man to Man, wherever books are sold. Welcome back to this special edition of Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host, and you're listening to a special edition. This uh, is the highlights of the Prevote Stand Town Hall meeting with Mike Ferris of ADF and Pastor Gary Hamrick at Cornerstone Chapel. Uh, I'm going to give you this question um, since you're the constitutional authority here, Mike. Uh, This comes from Tom. He says, are we in a constitutional crisis? Well, we're certainly in constitutional turmoil. Um, the, um, the, the correct way to interpret the Constitution is by its original meaning. And if we, uh, there, are, there are some very dangerous signs out there. The, um, the Constitutional Commission or the Supreme Court Study Commission that, that Biden has appointed with an eye towards stacking the Supreme Court, that is a crisis because the whole discussion of stacking the Supreme Court is this. They don't like the philosophy of the court, so they're going to change it. That's just playing politics with the court at the nth degree. And if, if America is built on anything, the, the pillar of the rule of law, that it should mean the same thing today as it meant tomorrow, as it means you know, on a consistent basis day in and day out, that's, that's an incredibly important principle to the country. And if, if we go down that, that path, the full-on crisis is, is upon us. Um, I would say that H.R. 1, that, um, excuse me, is, is, is full of crisis issues. The so-called Equality Act is going to create a, a number of crises, particularly invading the church and religious organizations and taking away our ability to decide whether or not we uh, want to hire people according to our faith or by their so-called woke standards where LGBT provisions would come and invade the church. And so that, when the state invades the church, there is a constitutional yeah. crisis. Yeah. And we're, on, we're, on the, we're knocking on the door. In Virginia, we're in that crisis. Yeah. And the whole country can be there uh, in, in a moment. Right. But I, I want to, uh, while you're on that issue, we're going to go to those uh, issues of the conflict between religious freedom and these uh, new court-invented rights. But you're able to do what you do at Alliance Defending Freedom to defend freedom when there are pastors and business owners and others that are willing to stand up and exercise their rights and are willing to face the, the, the challenge of a court uh, hearing if 
But you can't do it unless you've got individuals willing to exercise those freedoms and use them. Absolutely. We have a number of cases. In fact, there's one case right now in a particular city in the South. We've been looking to, to challenge a state gay rights ordinance for months, and we can't find somebody willing to stand up and, and be, the, the, be the plaintiff. Well, tonight on this town hall meeting with folks all across the country, we should get you a, uh, a client pretty soon. Indeed. So if they, they want to come to the ADF website, we'll, we'll look for it. But, it's, but it's we, the- we, uh, um, we need people in, in a variety of ways. That's uh, being willing to be clients is an important thing. To pray for us is important. To stand with us financially is important. All those things are important. But the one thing that the left knows better than our side does at times, they realize that uh, standing together matters. Uh, we're so individualistic that we're sometimes wanting to just do things on our own. In fact, the day before the, this last election, I got a call from a guy I met at some conference sometime, and he thought he should talk to me. And the day before the election, he wanted to know what he as an individual could do to change the outcome of the Georgia Senate election. I don't know. You know, with, with a few hours to go, probably nothing. You know, pray. But the, the smart play is what the left does. They get organized. Yeah. They, they put their resources in. They, they work together. And you lead one of the most important organizations in the country. I lead a large organization. There are other good organizations. The state family policy councils are very important to be supported. So we've got to be more joiners on our, our causes and supporters for our causes. And yeah, be individualistic too, but we've got, to, we've got to stand together. We don't stand together. The Bible says one can drive out 1,000 and two can drive out 10,000. Well, think what a few million of us could do. Hey, let's go for the whole thing. Yeah. Pastor Gary, a couple of questions coming in. This is actually coming in from several different people, so I'm going to summarize. Um, and this is basically people saying, why should I vote since there's so much cheating? Um, why should I continue to show up uh, given the lack of integrity in our system? When I gave uh, the Election Day sermon, I quoted Edmund Burke, you know, all that is necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. So, you know, if, if, if we check out, then who will be the righteous voice in the land? We have to stay engaged. And to Mike's point, one of the problems is we can't seem to bring unity to the church over some of these biblical issues. Because, you know, I, unfortunately, I hear, you know, Christians who, who say that, you know, they, they're, you know, they're a Christ follower, but yet they look at the issue of life, for example, and they're not willing to defend the unborn. Because um, some people now ha- are saying that life is a holistic issue, and so, which it can be, you know, and so therefore they, they gravitate towards other causes like, you know, immigrate, immigration, health care, the environmental stuff, and... And so they're approaching life from this, quote, holistic vantage point. But the problem is, if you don't defend the basic right to life, all those other issues mean nothing. And so, you you know, mean nothing. So we've we've got our work cut out for us just to bring unity to the Church of Jesus Christ over biblical issues that we would get on the same page about what is right and what is wrong. Because we're living in a day, Isaiah 5 is coming, is coming to play, where, you know, what are those who call evil good and good evil? 
who, who, who give light for darkness and darkness for light and sweet for bitter and bitter for sweet. It is upside down in our culture right now. You know, my wife and I were in South Florida a couple of years ago and all of these warnings about, you know, the sea turtles and, you know, and how it's, it's prosecuted if you, if you harm sea turtles. Okay, well, you know, God created sea turtles. Wonderful. But, but wh- where's the outcry for the unborn? We're more concerned about protecting sea turtles than we are the unborn. And until the church can get on the same page about some of these life issues and moral issues, um, I, I don't know how we're going to make a, a real difference in our, in our nation. Well, I, I wish as a nation, if we were as concerned about sin as we are the coronavirus, we yeah. would uh, we'd have a revival. Yeah. You've been listening to a special edition of Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. Uh, This has included Mike Ferris of ADF and Pastor Gary Hamrick at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Up next, what do Christians need to do to respond to the transgender ideology overtaking our schools, bathrooms, and sports? Well, that's next. Don't go away. The history of religious persecution in China is extensive, and many are not aware of the current oppression of religious groups taking place there. China restricts religious practice and oppresses religious minorities on a sweeping scale. This religious persecution targets those of every faith. Christians, Muslims, Tibetan Buddhists, and Falun Gong practitioners are all victims of the Chinese Communist Party's efforts to suppress any set beliefs that might compete with the party's ideology. This campaign against religion has had and continues to have devastating consequences for those who simply wish to live according to their conscience. Family Research Council's recently updated publication addresses China's consistent abuses of human rights and explains why they cannot be treated like any other country. Learn more about this issue by visiting frc.org China. Oh, man. What's wrong? I just missed Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, and our congressman was going to be on the show today. Oh, that's not a big deal. What do you mean? Well, you can always catch the replay of the day's show. How's that? With the Stand Firm app. Yeah? Yep, you can catch that day's program and so much more. You can contact your elected officials on campaigns and policies that are important to you with the Take Action tab. You can listen to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins live and play previous episodes while conveniently going about your day. You can access the Washington Update, informative blogs, tweets, and critical campaigns on the main feed so you can stay up to date on local and national news. Wow, I definitely use that. How do you find the app? Just visit frc.org slash app and download or search Stand Firm in the App Store. Okay, that's Stand Firm. Yep, Stand Firm. How do you know all this? Because I'm a SageCon, but that's another story. Huh? Welcome back to this special edition of Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins. This uh, is the highlights of a special Pray, Vote, Stand town hall meeting that we did at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. I was joined by Mike Ferris of ADF and Pastor Gary Hamrick. We uh, continue as we look at one of the most dangerous aspects of the transgender ideology that is taking the nation by storm. What should Christians do to push back? That answer and others coming up. Good evening. Let me say thanks, too, for doing this tonight, guys. 
My name is Dan Matzker, and as a father of six and a grandfather of 17 and a guy who loves kids, one of my major concerns is the whole gender issue. In one of his first executive orders, President Biden basically forced transgenderism on our public schools. So I'm concerned about the safety for our kids in locker rooms and restrooms and and things like that. And other than doing what we should do, praying for and laying a a strong foundation for our kids, what else can we do to protect our kids? Great question, and one that, um, by the way, is coming in from dozens of people across the country share the same concern. And, and Mike, this is one I know that you guys have been involved in at ADF. Well, indeed. But I want to say as an aside first that I coach Dan's daughters in softball. So... uh, so I know about girls in sports because I was a girls softball coach for a long time here in Loudoun County. Um, but uh, ADF is currently litigating two major cases on the transgender for girls in sports issue. We're litigating at the high school level in Connecticut uh, and at the collegiate level in Idaho. And the argument is, is that biological males should not be able to com- compete against biological females, that that violates Title IX, which guarantees equality. So um, we were litigating those cases before President Biden issued his executive orders. We're continuing to litigate those cases. His executive order has some effect. I don't want to uh, discount it entirely. But it does not determine the outcome of those cases. It determines the, out, the, the position of the, the government lawyers in the case. That's been flipped, but that doesn't really matter to the, the ultimate outcome. The issue is, does the law protect the young ladies, the right to have sports for women that was fought for, for such a long time? But while sports gets a lot of people's attention, that's not the only venue. Yes. We have to have sanity in this country about gender. There's a lot of applications for it. Um, And, you know, they say they want to follow the science. The science is clear. You were not assigned your gender at birth by the doctor. God assigned you your gender in your chromosomes at conception. That's right. That's what happened. And so... It, it, we, we are doing so many things that just defy common sense and defy science. The, the clear science is that the vast majority of young people who have unfortunate incidents of sexual confusion, the vast majority of them resolve on their own over time. And, and to take action to prematurely change those kids' lives, either by surgery or by any other process, is just doing an incredible harm and disservice to those children. So if you just want to focus on those kids, if, if a child uh, uh, has a normal body size, but they think that they're, they're, they're too fat, that's called anorexia. And we don't tell them, well, we're going to let you starve yourself to death so that your mind matches what you think your body should look like. We say, no, no, we try to get you help so that your mind and your body align. The same thing is true here, that Mm -hmm. if the mind gets out of whack with your body, it's time to help the mind 
get oriented correctly, and professional help is probably needed, but the left is so dangerous on this, they want to ban the giving of that professional help. We're not talking about crazy things like electroshock therapy or anything like that. Just people talking to each other and giving them the kind of counseling that they need. That's what needs to happen, and we're litigating freedom of expression cases about that. We won a case like that against New York City recently. And so ADF has been in this battle for a while, and we'll continue in this battle. And so I just ask you to pray for those cases, particularly the two sports cases in Connecticut and in Idaho. And, and let me just mention on that issue the, the, the good news is that we're not the only ones that have concerns about this, as, Gar- right. as Mike was saying. This is just common sense. Yeah. Seventeen states actually have legislation going through now to address this issue of, of girls' sports. Now, I'm with Mike. I think it's a much bigger issue than girls' sports. But if that's the rallying point, if that's the huddle and we break out from there and, and, and address this insanity, insanity that's driving uh, itself across this nation, that's a good starting point. Um, and there are states working to protect minors from uh, trans treatments. Uh, so there, there's good things that are happening out there. But here's something you need to know. And this is actually one of the questions that came in, is how do I know about what's happening? Because the media is in the tank for the left. And that is true. I can tell you from being in this for a quarter of a century, I've watched, especially in the last decade, every cable news network uh, on the main channels are gone. Um, And that includes Fox News. Uh, They are in the tank for the left. Uh, They're hemorrhaging their viewers. And so you've got to have trusted sources. Number one, you've got to have a pastor that's willing to preach to the issues so, you'll have, so you can understand them from a biblical perspective. You've got organizations like ADF that are keeping people apprised of what's happening in the courts. We have information as it pertains to the legislature. We've got a daily radio program. And so find good sources, and, and we'll prov- we can give you some suggestions on that. But you need to know what is happening, and there are some good things happening all across America. This is a special edition of Washington Watch, a Prevote Stand town hall meeting. We're coming back with more after this. Don't go away. Get a trusted perspective on the news of the day every day. Listen to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins to get honest and in-depth commentary on what's going on in our nation's capital and around the world. Join Family Research Council President Tony Perkins live every weekday on over 800 radio stations across the country. Or listen to the show when it works for you by visiting TonyPerkins.com. On the show, you'll hear from guests like Ben Carson, Senator Josh Hawley, Representative Vicki Hartzler, Molly Hemingway, Pastor Jack Hibbs, Dana Lash, Sissy Graham Lynch, Pastor John MacArthur, Eric Metaxas, Albert Moeller, and more. Tony is joined by leading political figures, pastors, and policy and culture experts who will inspire you to be engaged and informed on the important issues facing America. For a Christian perspective on the news of the day, tune in to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins at TonyPerkins.com. Ever since the Supreme Court handed down its infamous Roe v. Wade decision in 1973 that legalized abortion nationwide, a national debate has raged over whether the government should fund abortion. In 1976, Congress banned taxpayer funding of abortion and Medicaid by passing the Hyde Amendment. Several states have followed suit, passing their own restrictions on abortion funding. However, Because government funding is a complex system of joint federal and state programs, 
Completely banning taxpayer funding for abortions and abortion businesses like Planned Parenthood is challenging. There is still much work to be done to free the American taxpayer from funding the horrific practice of abortion. Family Research Council's new publication clearly explains the Hyde Amendment and why we need to keep it in order to save taxpayers from being forced to fund abortion. Access this important information by visiting frc.org Hyde. What's on your daily or weekly reading list? Are you looking for honest and informative commentary from fellow believers on the current issues facing our culture? Family Research Council has just the thing. Check out FRC's blog at frcblog.com. The content on our blog is written by our policy experts as well as outside contributors. On our blog, you can read about a wide variety of topics, including religious liberty, life, marriage, family, sexuality, public policy, and the culture. Read up on some of our latest titles like Four Disturbing Trends in Religious Freedom Worldwide, Legitimizing Looting Jeopardizes Liberty for All, The Media Still Doesn't Get It, Conservatives Tend to Vote Conservative, and more. At Family Research Council, our mission is to advance faith, family, and freedom in the culture by helping you live out your faith and to stand for truth. Our blog is here to help you do that. Stay informed and get the resources you need at frcblog.com. This is Washington Watch, and I'm Tony Perkins. This is a special edition. Highlights from a recent Pray Vote Stand Town Hall meeting at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. To find out how you can stay engaged and be involved, text the word FORWARD to 67742. That's 67742, the word FORWARD. We're wrapping up with a look at where we stand in America on the life issue and how we've made progress and how we need to continue to do so. We need to keep what's happening today in perspective. All right, we, when we get in the midst of one of these crises, we, we tend to get kind of tunnel vision. We can't see beyond the present moment. And I know people are discouraged about what's coming, but let me just give you a, a quick history lesson. In 2000, and, and this is what comes with longevity. I didn't realize you actually learn things the older you get. Uh, but I've been here almost 20 years in, in Washington, and in 2009, there was a very similar situation. In fact, the situation was a little worse. We had Barack Obama had a Senate of 60 senators, had the House with Nancy Pelosi as the Speaker. He controlled it all. And remember, they pushed through Obamacare. And it almost died, almost didn't pass because of the abortion issue. But what they did is a, this fig leaf of protection through an executive order saying it wouldn't fund abortion, which we found out later was a lie. But what happened, the American people pushed back. And we saw this wave of the Tea Party in 2010. But what we didn't see, what most people didn't see, is what happened at the state level. In 2009, Democrats controlled both chambers of 27 state legislatures. Eight years later, Republicans cut that number in half to 13. Democrats lost a total of 13 governorships and 816 state legislative seats during Barack Obama's tenure, the most of any president since Eisenhower. Obama entered the White House with a 60-seat majority in the Senate and 250 seats in the House. By 2016, Democrats had lost 12 Senate seats and 64 House seats. States, now here's a member of... At that time, Barack Obama was the most pro-abortion president. He's now being eclipsed, I think, by Joe Biden. But here's what happened. States passed a record 
205 pro-life laws between 2011 and 2013, more than in all the 30 years previously combined. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Between 2009 and 2019, 479 pro-life laws were enacted in 33 states. Mike, how close are we to seeing Roe v. Wade being cast into the dustbin of history? We're very close. Uh, We're one, perhaps two uh, decisions from the Supreme Court. The next abortion case the court takes could, at any moment, uh, be the one that reverses Roe versus Wade. Uh, the, the most common thought is that it's going to be two, two cases, where there will be a, a case uh, such as a, a sex selection, a ban of sex selection abortion or a ban of abortion on racial grounds or something like that. If that goes in a positive direction, that will undermine all the theoretical uh, uh, thresholds of Roe and uh, Planned Parenthood versus Casey, and then we think that there will be actually six votes in the Supreme Court to reverse Roe after that. So we are one or two cases away. It could happen anytime, and the votes are there. I mean, I, I will say this. We can be discouraged about a lot of things, but the federal courts, including the Supreme Court, is the best it has ever been in my lifetime, mm-hmm. and I am older than 49. Uh, <laughs> and, and so we, you know, it is utterly remarkable what, what is going on in our judiciary. And it's, uh, so right now, that's the venue for us to be working really, really hard. We're going to transition here in just a moment to our last set of issues, and that is the, the growing religious hostility that we see in the culture and how do we face the cancel culture. Uh, if pastors fail to lead to be vocal against unbiblical policies, how can we revive the churches? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's the kind of thing where, um, you know, people in their individual churches need, need to be vocal about it with their pastors. I, I don't know how else to say it. I mean, if, if, if Christians aren't, you know, sounding the alarm because the pastor isn't, then hopefully they can motivate their pastor and their local fellowship to be more vocal about these things because um, we're living in such a relative world right now. We're living at a time when truth has been discarded and um, people are resorting to relativism about everything. Um, and, you know, it really is a blatant... It, it, Paul talked about it in Romans 1. He talked about how, you know, we, it's, God has revealed his wickedness against us because we have suppressed the truth. I mean, it's just, it's the suppression of truth that has led to the problems that we have. And um, if the pulpits aren't, um, aren't declaring it, then people need to um, encourage their pastors to do that. Well, if you're in a woke church, it's time to wake up and get out yeah, of yeah. that church. Woke up. Woke up. Let's go to our next local question. We've got another question, and this is on our final set here as we wrap up tonight. Uh, We're going to go into the issue of religious freedom. Good evening. It's great to be here. After that video and with the rise of this cancel culture and the woke movement and relativism, how can we as Christians, as we stand for truth, prepare ourselves for persecution we may face ahead? Really good question, and it... uh, that echoes many of the questions that have come in online tonight. And I'm going to go to you first, Pastor Gary. I think um, inherent in the question, and it's, it's a great question, um, is, is the admission that we haven't really experienced persecution. We've had it comfortable for too long in America. And I'm grateful for comfort. 
But, um, you know, a, a Christian who's in China or a Christian who's in Saudi Arabia, they already know what persecution is in other parts of the world, Pakistan and different places. So, um, you know, we have just not experienced persecution like most in the church, most in, in Christianity are experiencing in other parts of the world. We've just had it too good for too long. And, um, and it's time now that our faith is going to be challenged in a, in a way that it's either going to be real or it's, it's not. Um, you know, when I look at the early church, persecution is nothing new, right? I mean, Nero in the first century was lighting Christians, tarring, dipping them in tar, lighting them on fire as human torches in his backyard. So um, there have been tens of thousands of Christians who have been martyred, lost their lives for the sake of the gospel. And now we as Christians are facing a time, a season like we've never experienced before. When I look in the Bible, I think basically there are three things that that, um, the early church experienced with persecution. One was financial difficulties. That's why in Acts 4.32, and it talks about how the early church pooled their resources and they shared with everyone who had need. That is not a verse to advance socialism. That is a verse to remind us that when the early church started to become persecuted for their faith, they had to pool their resources because they were ostracized by the rest of culture, and so they had to survive by pooling their resources. The other thing that that they endured was imprisonment, and then the last thing, of course, the worst thing is death. And so I I would just encourage us, you know, financially, we might get hit in a similar way the early church did. I would, I would encourage you, get your financial house in order if it isn't already. Save and, and be good stewards of what God has given you because you might you know, experience, like in the days of Joseph, you know, save for seven years during the feast so that you can have it for seven years of famine. I think it's important that we get our personal resources in order. And I think it's, it's always important that we recognize, look, you know, imprisonment, death, it's unimaginable. Right now we have great liberties we enjoy in America, but how many of us would think to ourselves, there are things that are happening in our country now we could not even have imagined 10 years ago. And so for that reason, I don't think that we should you know, downplay the potential of imprisonment, the potential of death. I mean, I know that sounds extreme, but I'm just saying at least, I hope it never comes to that. I hope enshrined in our Constitution is still continued protection for religious freedom. I'm just saying mentally and spiritually we need to prepare our hearts for the worst and pray for the best and, um, and, and get serious in our faith because it's going to be challenged in ways that true Christians are going are to be you know, recognized. You know, it's going to be a cleansing time. It's going to be a time to recognize who's, who's really of the faith and who isn't. So you know, get, get right with the Lord if you're not already and make sure your house is in order because the days that are coming are unpredictable. Uh, Mike, here's a question. I want to go to you similar along that line, but from a very practical standpoint, this is Natalie asked, how do we as Christians cope with and take a stand against the cancel culture that we're now experiencing in America? Well, the, um, basic answer is we deal with bullies, which is what the cancel culture is, by standing up to them. Yes. Um, We defy the bully and we keep going ahead. The, um, um, I was, as you guys were talking, I was reminded, ADF has a work all over the world doing religious freedom. And a a couple of years ago, I was with some of our clients in India that uh, one of them, the mob burned their house down and and they were prosecuted for... um, inducing people to convert to Christianity illegally. If you, have, if you give some kind of inducement, that's against the law of India. Their inducement was this couple had a terrific prayer ministry and people would come 
and asked them to pray for them, and their prayers were getting answered. And God's answered prayers were the illegal inducements that they were charged with. Hmm. Now, it took us about 10 years to unravel their case. But, and these people faced the mob. But we faced them. They faced them. There was another set of clients there that had a similar, where they raided a, a train with kids going to a Christian camp, and they arrested the counselors and the kids. And they, we faced down the mob. And that case was eventually, even in India, uh, was, was successful. And so I, I, I believe that you know, some, some of us may end up in jail. Some of us may end up executed. But we're all experiencing in this country the early stages of the softer, more genteel forms of persecution, the economic persecution. But it is coming. And we just have to stand up and stand strong. Um, yeah. And that's, you know, be strong and very courageous. Yes. Uh, we, we, in the right. book of Joshua, that's the answer right there. Yeah. Uh, so I'm echoing what you already said. Pastor Gary, um, as we kind of bring this in for a, a landing, one question here is uh, how do we pray for a president that we don't really agree with? <laughs> <laughs> it's really easy to pray for somebody you agree with. It's harder to pray with, for someone you don't agree with. Uh, you know, Proverbs 21.1 is a reminder to me that the, the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. And in Daniel 2, it talks about how God deposes kings and he raises them up. And there were some pretty ungodly kings in the Bible. And, and yet God in his sovereignty allowed them to, to rule. And in the process, he still accomplished his purposes. If for nothing else, to motivate his people and to purge them of things. Uh, because Christians tend to get more serious when they realize, oh, there's not as, someone as favorable to you know, Christian values in the White House, so maybe I need to step up my prayer life, or maybe I need to get engaged more, maybe I need to get my own life right. So uh, it's important to pray for our elected leaders even when you don't agree with them, because the Bible tells us to. Paul said to Timothy, pray for kings and all those in authority that we might live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. And, you know, I, I got a few emails when I, on the day after the inauguration, when I prayed for President Biden, I got some emails like, how can you pray for this? Because the Bible tells me to. Yep. I don't have to agree with him. I, I didn't vote for him. But, but the Bible tells me to pray for him, tells you and me to pray. And so whether we like them personally or not, or their policies or not, we should, that should motivate us even more to pray for them, that, that God would change their hearts and speak to them and surround them with uh, godly men and women who will be influential to them. Absolutely. We, we want to pray that they would make the right decisions, even if it's a contrary to their nature, yeah. so that we might live peaceably in this country. I want to close our time together tonight by just sharing a, a, a quick passage of Scripture, because I know a lot of people are concerned about what's happening, and, and we, there's a tendency to, to just get discouraged and lose heart. And Jesus knew this. In in Luke chapter 18, he says this. He said, then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. And that's why we call this pray, vote, stand. We need to be praying. We need to be in the word of God. In fact, if you're not in a daily reading program of God's word. Now, uh, devotional books are great. 
but the Word of God is better. That's right. And so I encourage you to be in a daily reading program. If you're, you're here at Cornerstone, I know you're in one. But if you're watching online, we have one for you. You can go to frc.org slash Bible. It's a two-year journey through the Bible. We're in Jeremiah right now. So appropriate for the times in which we are living. And you find that God's Word is a source of encouragement. So I encourage you to be in the Word of God. So he goes on in verse 2, says, There was a cert, in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Must have been Washington. Now, there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, Avenge me of my adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward, he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her lest her continual coming wearies me. Then the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said, and shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out to him day and night, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? This is a day of testing. It would be easy to, be get, to get discouraged and to throw in the towel and just go into hiding and take care of our own. But that's not what we're called to. We're called to be salt. We're called to be light. We're called to carry forth the truth because Jesus said it is the truth that will make you free. And we need to be taking that truth to a world that is in bondage to darkness. So let's pray. Amen. Let's pray. When we have the opportunity, let's engage as citizens, Christian citizens, in a God-honoring, legal way, and let's stand for that truth no matter what the opposition may be or what they may say or whoever tries to cancel us. We are citizens of the kingdom of God, and we are children of the Most High God. Well, folks, we're out of time, but I want to thank you for listening to the special edition of Washington Watch. My guests have been CEO of ADF, Mike Ferris, and Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Let me encourage you as we leave with the encouraging words, once again, of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you have taken your stand, by all means, stand. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is powered by the Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234. 